This is the Mormon Expression Podcast. Find us on the web at mormonexpression.com. Welcome to another edition of Mormon Expression. I'm going to be your temporary guest host, Tom. And tonight, we also want to welcome John Larson onto the discussion tonight. Welcome, John. Hey, thanks for having me. And tonight, we have a special guest, uh, Dylan Doc Hansen. How are you doing tonight, Doc? Great. Tonight, we've invited Doc on because we want to discuss the Dream Mine and Bishop John Coyle and kind of the whole history behind that and how fascinating that is and that's why we brought doc on tonight so doc why don't you why don't we just get go ahead and get started why don't you give us kind of a a brief background and the history um on the dream mine and also john coyle okay uh let's just start with john coyle uh he lived uh, down in leland utah which is uh, kind of the lake shore of uh utah lake uh he was a farmer he had had the gift of dreams from uh, early days of his life. He served a mission for the LDS Church in the Southern States Mission. His mission president was uh, the well-known Jay Golden Kimball. And uh, he uh, ended up saving his life because of a dream that he had where he saw a missionary uh, zone conference, and uh, he saw a lynch uh, group come, and they were going to hang him. And uh, so he wrote him a letter and says, hey, I've had a dream about... Uh, them lynching you, so you might not uh, want to come to this meeting. And sure enough, when he had the conference, sure enough, there was a group of people, that, men that came in and says, where's that blankety-blank Jay Golden Kimball? And they had a rope and everything, and he wasn't there, and so they left, and it saved his life. So anyway, uh, uh, many years later, after he came home off his mission, he uh, had a dream where he was taken by an angel to a uh, hillside in Salem, Utah, and uh, he was taken into the mountain and taken down to uh, uh, nine rooms, and he was told that these nine rooms were dug out by the Nephites, and uh, they were full of, uh, of ancient records, uh, gold, uh, all sorts of things. And then he was taken out through an entrance that uh, went into a side canyon called Water Canyon. And uh, this happened uh, a few times to instill upon his memory uh, the, the tunnels that he would put into the mountain and certain signposts to uh, help uh, recall later when they would actually put the tunnels in. And uh, anyway, he told his wife about this dream, and uh, he was supposed to go up on top of the mountain and uh, start digging, which he never did. And, uh, and uh, one day uh, the kids all started getting sick, and and uh, he, the wife says, Honey, you better get up there and, and start digging before, uh, you know, the, the kids start dying. And he says, well, he says, I just don't know if it's a real dream. And uh, anyway, so he prayed and says, if this is a real dream I'm supposed to do, there was a neighbor that was digging a well. I, I, the water needs to be, the water needs to come in this well today uh, before I come home from work. So he came home from work, and the wife says, honey, get up on the hill. So the well came in. So he took, uh, took a few friends and went up on top of the hill, and he saw kind of a, a bright light coming out of the ground, and he asked his friends that were with him, can you see that bright light right over there? And they said, yes. 
He says, okay. He says, I'm not seeing things. So they went over there and started digging. He says, if this is the real place I'm supposed to dig, there'll be a cream-colored rock. And they dug down about a foot, and sure enough, there was some cream-colored rock. And uh, he started construction uh, of the, the, the tunnels that uh, called the, 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 old, uh, the old tunnels. And uh, he dug that for many, many years. Until uh, later, he uh, had uh, two of the three Nephites appear to him one night in a dream, and they showed him a new tunnel that he would put in. Uh, this was back in 1910. Uh, he was also shown many things about the future, and uh, this, uh, this dream uh, lasted two hours, and out of the two hours, he could only share 30 minutes of it. If he ever met with one of the general authorities, the president of the church, one of his counselors, he could reveal the full two hours. But in that half an hour, he was shown a lot of things about the future that he would share with uh, other dream miners in uh, the Thursday night meetings. And this was meant to keep uh, interest going in the mine and, and uh, money coming in, buying stock that would help finance uh, the mine. We should so, also mention that, that this happened when he originally had the dream. wasn't in August of 1894. Yes, uh-huh. Was he living in Salem, or was it more like Spanish Fork? No, he was actually, uh, I think, uh, he might have still been living in Lakeshore at the time. But uh, he ended up moving to uh, uh, Spanish Fork so he could be closer to the mine. Was he a bishop at the time that he started construction on the mine? Uh, I don't believe he was initially, but uh, he later was. The mine is known as the the dream mine, and also the relief mine. Maybe you can explain what the two terms mean. Uh, the, uh, the initial mine, uh, the stock that was put out, was called the Coil uh, Mining Company. And, uh, and uh, then uh, he, the bishop a lot of times referred, it, referred to it as the relief mine because the mine would come in uh, during a period of time where the country needed relief. He was shown that uh, the economy would be way up high on stilts and that something would happen and overnight the props would be pulled out and the economy would crash down. So he knew when the mine would actually come in. And uh, many times during his lifetime, it looked like things were lining up. Back in the 1930s, during the Depression, things looked like they were lining up again with all the different signposts. And then again, during the late 40s, just before he died, it, it again was looking like it was lining up. Now that we're in today's economy, uh, once again, it's looking like it's lining up again. The economy, I've actually heard in news where they talked about the economy being propped up. And so they're actually using that terminology that he was told that would happen before the mine would come in. Now, isn't it true also that, uh, that John Coyle, had additional uh, dreams or prophecies that actually came to pass. Is that correct? Oh, absolutely. Can you maybe list one or two of them? I know one of them was, uh, I think, in association for, to World War One. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, and this is part of what he was shown back in uh, 1910 with uh, the two Nephites that appeared to him. Uh, he, he told the month that uh, the war would end, and a lot of people says, well, that's, it doesn't look like it's going to end. I mean, the war is going to continue. And there was a, uh, a unit coming out of Utah that was sent off, and uh, he promised people they would never see, see war. And uh, people actually, one guy at work wrote on a piece of chalk on a big water tank at work, and people asked him, what's that date? He says, that's the date that the, 
the world's going to end, and people laughed and thought it was funny, but sure enough, it ended just like he said. Uh, another real interesting story of, of things that he was, he told his banker one day, he met down on the streets of, uh, uh, Spanish work, who's also his, uh, state president. He says, you better collect as much money as you come in, because in about two months, and he gave him the exact date, the economy was going to, uh, crash. And so, uh, he went ahead and wrote down the date and put it in his, uh, desk drawer, and he tried to get as many loans in as possible, and, and, uh, one day the bishop's walking down the street again, he goes up to him, he says, Bishop Coyle, you're a false prophet. He says, what do you mean? He says, there was no crash today. And he says, no, 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 it's not today, it's tomorrow. He says, no, he says, I wrote the date down. He says, let's go back to your uh, office and take a look. And he pulled out the piece of paper, and sure enough, it was the date for the next day. He says, if it doesn't crash tomorrow, he says, then come on back and pick a bone with me. And sure enough, the, the, the stock market crashed just like uh, he said on that exact date. The church typically doesn't take too kindly to rogue prophets and um, others making prophecy. What was the church's attitude towards Bishop Coyle? The church came out a few times uh, writing statements and publishing them and even uh, giving these, uh, it was called a word of warning over the pulpit uh, against uh, Bishop Coyle and uh, the mine. And um, um, a lot of times uh, they were against him because he made comments that were in uh, complete contradiction what uh, what prophets have said. Uh, one prophet had made the mention that uh, the the saints in Mexico uh, were faithful and that they should receive the the next temple. And, and Bishop Coyle made a comment. Well, if he had seen what I'd seen, uh, he would have made that promise to him. And uh, and what happened is that uh, they they chased the Mormons out of uh, out of Mexico and, and no temple was built. So. Uh, that that didn't go over really big because that that started circulating around that Bishop Coyle was getting revelations that were coming to pass and uh, the president of the church his his uh, revelations were not. Isn't it also true that uh, some of the early apostles, maybe even Jay Golden Kimball, if I got my facts straight, actually uh, believed in Bishop Coyle's dreams? There were a few. Uh, oh yeah, uh, Jay Golden Kimball being his mission president and him saving his life on his mission. He definitely was a believer. Um, uh, the 70s were not as well paid as the apostles, and, and uh, so Jay Golden Kimball was, was quite poor. And uh, um, one day he uh, had some money, and he drove all the way down to Spanish Fork to, uh, to see Bishop Coyle, and he wanted to buy some stock. And uh, Bishop Coyle had been told 15 years previously in a dream to uh, give Bishop Coyle um, uh, 500 shares of stock, even if he couldn't pay for it. And so when Jay Golden Kimball came up there and says, Bishop Coyle, tell me about the mine, and he told him everything about it. And he says, well, he says, I don't have a lot of money, but he says, I'd like to buy some stock. And he says, your money isn't necessary. And he reached around on the shelf and handed him a stock certificate that had been made out 15 years earlier. Interesting. So the specifics of this mine is a little bit fuzzy from my understanding is that uh, John Coyle actually said it was a Nephite uh, reserve cache of gold. Is that correct? Yes. That the Nephites had put a tunnel uh, through uh, the mountain on the side of Water Canyon that went down at an angle into those nine rooms. And Bishop Coyle was shown in uh, the dream initially that they would uh, go ahead and go in with new tunnels down to those nine rooms. 
And it's interesting because people had gone heard the stories about the tunnel in Water Canyon. Brigham Young had sent some uh, explorers down to Utah Valley, and uh, the Indians had chased them up uh, Water Canyon, and uh, they held refuge into a large tunnel. And while they were there, one of one of them got shot by an arrow, and uh, they left him buried there in the, the tunnel. But he noticed, uh, as he picked up a piece of rock, that, uh, boy, it had a lot of gold. In fact, it wasn't a little bit of gold in rock. It was a little bit of rock in a big piece of gold. He put that in a saddlebag, and uh, he spat as, after the Indians left and they were able to get away, he swore he'd make it back down there again to uh, do some more research in that uh, tunnel. He never made it back again. He ended up getting sent up to Idaho to uh, 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 open some new settlements there for Brigham Young. Uh, but uh, even in, Brig- even in uh, Bishop Coyle's time, he told people about uh, the tunnel in the Water Canyon, and people actually went over there looking for it and uh, walked in. And one person says as they walked in, they heard a voice telling them to get out. And another, and then sometime after that, there was a landslide that covered over most of the tunnel, just a little bit left open where you could kind of crawl into a, through a small opening. And, uh, one day one of uh, the young boys was over there playing Water Canyon, went up there and found it and, and climbed in a little bit. And, uh, he, he, uh, later Bishop Coyle ran into him and said, you've been up there in that tunnel in Water Canyon. He says, how do you know? He says, he says, well, an angel told me. And he says, he, told me to tell you to stay out of it. And shortly after that, uh, it completely uh, caved over. And uh, you can, I've been up there, and I can see where the landslide is, but uh, it's not open any longer. Somebody years ago had asked Bishop Coyle if they could go up there with a, a team and, and a plow and, and try to open it again. And he says, go ahead. And I think Bishop Coyle knew that it was going to be fruit frugal. So they worked all day trying to open that and it just kept caving over more and more, so they never were able to open it again. Now, for those who don't know, the the Dream Mine is on the hillside above Salem, Utah, if I understand correctly. Uh-huh. And Salem is in the Utah Valley, or uh, Utah County Valley, which is about 50 miles south of Salt Lake, uh, in the same valley where BYU and a lot of, uh, of the more conservative Mormons live. Yeah, um, it's on the south end of the valley. Right now, there's a great big edifice up there. Um, it almost looks, it's glowing white. and almost looks kind of like a temple, but I assume it's concrete. It uh, is uh, concrete and stucco, and it was built back during the 1930s. Uh, Bishop had a dream and uh, says, we're going to build a mill. And they hired a uh, an architect, and the problem was is that Bishop Coyle saw in his dream how it was supposed to be built, and it was built in sections because it, it actually comes down uh, on the hillside at different levels. So gravity, uh, as you put rocks in at the top, or, or it's worked at different levels, and then it goes down to the next level, the next level, and the next level, and at the bottom level, you'd, you'd get the gold out. And the bishop was building this faster than the architect could get the plans for it. So by the time he got all the plans done, it was already built and finished. And this is the same but bishop. You can see that today. As you drive down I-15 and look south, uh, as you're... Around the uh, Spanish Fork exit on the I-15, you can look east, and up on the hillside, you'll see that white building, and you'll see the zigzag roads that go up to uh, the different mines on the hill. So did Bishop Coyle um, teach or expound as to why Nephites 
were there in the in the Salt Lake Valley? Did he believe that there was a settlement there, or, or how did the Nephites get there to put the gold in the mine? He said that uh, there were Nephites that lived there anciently, and that on the hillside, he said he pointed to certain areas they didn't want anybody to disturb. He says that they disturbed those areas, that there would be uh, they would find uh, remnants of the Nephites living there. Um, he, he also spoke of uh, coming out of Water Canyon, and it's quite interesting because you, today you can still see it. And it's called the, the Nephite Highway, and it curves over south towards the point in uh, uh, Payson. And it looks like a uh, kind of a raised road, road bed. And uh, uh, as you go out of Water Canyon, you actually, the road is partly on top of that, and then it goes off the hillside. And uh, there's some homes that are built on that. And that uh, actually uh, is a raised rose bed because the lake was at a lot higher level at one time. And uh, over at the, the Payson Point uh, is where they smelted the gold anciently. Now, the gold was not put into the mine. There's gold ore there. Down in the nine rooms is actually some gold that has been smelted and stored down there. But that gold was taken out of the mine anciently. The belief is that there's just a, a, gold, a gold vein in the, in the mine, or is there actual stacks of money? I guess I'm a little unclear. Both. Both. There is actually stacks of, uh, of gold, minted gold, that the, that the Nephites had smelled it, but uh, the, uh, the, the mine shafts that the bishop put in, he said that when the mine's ready to open, that they would access those rich veins, and uh, as they mine in through about 2,200 feet, uh, as it breaks out to the other side, it would break into those nine rooms. Let's talk a little bit about the controversy um, surrounding John Coyle and a little bit surrounding uh, when, well, I think his name was Elder Talmadge, James E. Talmadge, I believe. Sure. When he came down, and I guess he was kind of issued by the church to come do a little bit of an investigation, why don't you kind of walk us through what happened there? Yeah, James Talmadge was an apostle, but he was also, by uh, education, was a geologist. So the church sent him down to use his geology uh, skills to uh, look at the mine, and as he looked at it, he says, well, he said, you've done a good job uh, mining, but he says, in his opinion, with the type of rock structure that he found, he says, I don't think you'll ever find any gold. And uh, that was just based on his uh, geology uh, education. Um but uh, years later, uh, you know, he, he helped write um, the judgments against the Dream Mine and, and the First Presidency he all signed it. Um, so eventually it was, it was denounced officially by the church, by the First Presidency. Is that right? Uh, correct. Uh, this was, was, uh, it was submitted, and then uh, years later it was resubmitted again. Uh, probably the last thing that was going to be said about the Dream Mine was it was when Jay Golden Kimball was still alive. So this had to be back in the 1930s, and uh, uh, Bishop Coyle told in a dream that, um, uh, what's his name, uh, Joseph Fielding Smith, who at uh, one time was, uh, later in his life, was president of the church. He was an apostle at the time, and the, and the Lord had told Bishop Coyle that he was going to write a talk that was going to badmouth the dream line. And so he got hold of Jay Golden Kimball in person and says, hey, uh, the Lord told me that uh, he's going to prepare a talk and talk against the dream mine. He says, I want you to go in there and tell him not to. He says, I'm not going to go into his office. He says, that's like putting your head into the mouth of a lion. 
And Bishop Hoyle grabbed him by the shirt and he says, the bishop hates, uh, uh, oh, what did he call him? Uh, uh, you know, somebody that's fearful. He says, he says, uh, don't, he says, he says, I don't have any faith. He says, that's okay. He says, I've got the faith. You just go tell him. So sure enough, Jay Golden Kimball goes into, uh, uh, Brother Smith's office and, and tells him, he says, the Lord knows that you're going to, uh, write a, uh, talk about the dream mind, give it a conference, and he doesn't want you to do it. And he says, how did you know that? I've told nobody. He says, well, the Lord told you, he told, uh, Bishop Coyle, and, uh, and, uh, anyway, so, because of that, he never did give a talk in conference about it. Interesting. So did uh, John Coyle, did he, because I know there's conflicting reports, at least what I've read, did he eventually get excommunicated from the church, or did he remain faithful? Well, he, he remained faithful, but uh, let's talk about that story. Back in 1911, uh, his state president had an angel appear to him and recommended that both John Coyle and his wife have their second endowments. And uh, these uh, second endowments are, ta- are done by the president of the church in the Holy of Holies. And so uh, uh, he went to Salt Lake City with his wife, and uh, they got their second endowments. Now, if you have your second endowments, if you do research, uh, if you have your second endowments taken out, you cannot be excommunicated from the church. So what happened is uh, uh, in, his, in his 80s, this was in the late 40s, uh, Word had gone around about John Coyle and things that supposedly he had said and that supposedly he was holding sacrament meetings up at the mine and, and a lot of other false stories. And so they brought him in on a church court and says, we've got these reports of, of you doing this and this and this. And uh, Bishop Coyle denied them all. And they said, well, we're going to excommunicate you unless you read this paper and sign it and promise us that you won't, won't go back up on the hill and, and work the mine. And uh, John Coyle literally was uh, was was sick in bed, and uh, they told him if he didn't show up to the bishop's court that they would excommunicate him. So, I mean, he literally got off his his uh, sick bed and came to the court, and and being as sick as he was and in his 80s, uh, he was coerced into signing it, which he did. And part of what Bishop Coyle says, I'll sign this on on a few conditions. This doesn't get published in the Deseret News and also that uh, I get a chance to talk to a member of the First Presidency, and they promised him that uh, that it would not be put into the Desert News and that he would get a chance to talk to the First Presidency. Well, you'll never guess what happened uh, the next day. In the Desert News, there it was. Bishop Coyle uh, denies everything about the mine. Mm-hmm. So it was published, and uh, and also he never did get a chance to talk to the First Presidency. So... Since he felt like the church had gone against their word, uh, he went back up on the hill, started working his mind. And so a few months later, they called another church court and excommunicated him for breaking his word. And in reality, he said, I didn't break my word. The church broke their word. Anyway, they excommunicated him. Uh, I have a friend that has access to uh, to uh, church membership records, uh, working uh, as a word, word clerk. He did some investigation and found out, in reality, Bishop Coyle, his membership is still intact. Like, again, once I said, you cannot be excommunicated if you've had your, your uh, second endowment taken out. So, But word went out that he was excommunicated uh, um, shortly after that. It might have been up to a year later. He uh, ended up uh, having failed health, uh, died of old age. 
but uh, they said thousands of people showed up at his uh, funeral, and um, it was held at uh, the Spanish Fork High School because his uh, ward was meeting for church at the, the high school because their building was being rebuilt, and uh, so there was room there for all those people to come and pay their respects to Bishop Coyle. Following his death, um, then what happens to the mine? Well, uh, uh, they, uh, the board of directors got together and uh, they installed a new president. And uh, Bishop Coyle had uh, told uh, the people, the, the board of directors, never have brothers on the board. And the first thing that uh, Quill Dixon, who was elected president, did was put his brother on the board. Um, and so now there's brothers on the board. And um, first thing that uh, Quill Dixon did was shut down the mine. Even though the bishop always worked it, the uh, first thing he did was shut it down. And it stayed in a shutdown condition for many years until a man named uh, uh, Al Sinclair came from Texas. And um, he was quite an interesting fellow because he knew so much about the mine and inside the mine, but uh, had never been to Utah. And he was asking for samples of rock taken out of a certain tunnel to be used for a, a new battery he was working on. And they sent him some uh, ore, and he paid for it. And then uh, he told them he was coming to Utah. He wanted more ore. And uh, he had sent so many letters back and forth that uh, a lot of people were already thinking this must be one of the three Nephites because he knows so much about the mine. And uh, the day he came up to visit, uh, he came up with a friend and... Uh, he had a cigarette in his hand, and they all went to uh, lunch at one of the cafes there in Spanish Fork, and he ordered coffee. And uh, I talked to people that uh, knew Al Sinclair way back then, and they said, you know, it's really interesting. I remember seeing him quite often with a cigarette in his hand, but I don't ever remember him smoking it. In fact, one fellow that uh, is still alive that was in his 20s when he met Al Sinclair, he was working at the, uh, the mill there at the mine, he says, one day, uh, he was there with Al Sinclair, and Al Sinclair says, young man, he says, he says, I've got problems with my legs. And he rolled up his pant legs, and he could see these big, long scars on both legs. And he says, he says, would you mind massaging my legs? He says, I got these wounds from the war and from swords. And he said, he says, would you mind massaging them for me? So he did. He massaged them. He says, let me tell you what, while I was massaging his legs, he says, I had one of the most sure revelations I've ever had in my life. He says, it was revealed to me that he was Alma the Younger. And so it's quite interesting that his name was Al, short for Alma. And uh, he had told someone else that his father was also named Al or Alma. He says, I was named after my father. So if you go back and look in the Book of Mormon, uh, uh, Alma the Younger was named after Alma the Senior. And so... Uh, uh, some of the, the stuff that uh, Al Sinclair knew about the mine, a lot of people figured it had to do because he was actually one of the three Nephites. Well, he wasn't, but he was a, uh, a translated Nephite. So for those who don't know the Book of Mormon as well, Alma the Younger is not one of the three Nephites, correct? No, he is not. Now, I can and tell you another very interesting story. Uh, when uh, two of the three Nephites appeared to John Coyle in the early 1900s and gave him the, the two hours of information about the future, he mentioned that one was tall and thin, one was shorter and stouter. 
and uh, he had mentioned that he thought maybe they were they were father and son. Uh, back in the 1970s, uh, there was a man that lived in one of the homes up on the hill that uh, is owned by the Dream Line, and they, they rent him out. His name was uh, John Jordan. And John Jordan came off the hill one day, and as he drove past the mining office, he saw that there were two uh, men out there standing by the uh, the office. So he stopped the car and got out and says, can I help you uh, men? And they said, yeah, we're here to talk to the people that run this place. And he goes, oh, he says, you want to talk to the board of directors. He says, they only meet together about once a month. He says, they won't be here today. Is there anything I can help you with? He says, well, he says, we've come up here to light the light up on the hill again. And he says, oh, are, are you guys electricians? And they said, no. Anyway, he says, well, they won't be up here today. You can you can write a letter and leave it in the mailbox. And, and so he got in his car and he drove off the hill. And then he says, the spirit whispered to him, he says, they're not electricians. That was two of the three Nephites that appeared to John Coyle. And he goes, oh, my gosh, you're right. And they're not there to physically light any light on the hill. They were there to relight the spiritual light on the hill. Well, he said it was his good fortune sometime later to be downtown Spanish Fork, and he ran across them again. So he, he gets out of his car, and he goes up to him. He goes, do you remember me from up there at mine office? And he said, yes. He says, okay. He says, I know who you guys are. You're two of the three Nephites. And he says, I've got a question for you. Where's the third of the three Nephites? They said he's up working with the Ute Indians up in the, the Vernal area. And um, anyway, that's the story. Now, he had told, uh, John Jordan had told one of his good friends that he had met the two of the three Nephites. He says, I've actually seen him around the Spanish Fork a few times. He's, oh, I'd really like to meet him. He says, well, chances are maybe... You know, we can meet him again. He says, I'm going to list, I'm going to get a whole list of questions I'd like to ask him. And so he did. He got a list of questions and kept it in his wallet. And uh, this uh, other fellow worked at an auto store in uh, Provo. And one day he's there checking people out at the cash register. And, and the thing that John Jordan had said is the, these two men were dressed like 30 years behind the time. He says they were dressed very oddly. And so this fellow working the cash register noticed at the end of the line there was an older gentleman there that was dressed really oddly, like 30 years behind the time. And so one by one, finally, that old man got up to the cash register and he said, Young man, can you come outside and show me on my car what I need to do to fix the, the body on the, the car? So he went out there and he says, Yeah, you need to knock out the, the, the dent and get some auto body filler and put it in and sand it and do some primer and... And he says, is that what you need to know? And this is what the, the old gentleman said to him. He says, young man, thy sins be forgiven thee. And he got in his car. He thanked him, got in his car, and drove away. And he says, when he said that, son, thy sins be forgiven thee, he says, my mind went blank. And he says, I couldn't think of a thing to say. So he drove off. And... Sometime later, John Jordan and this, this uh, fellow that worked at the auto store were together in a car, and uh, as they were coming on to uh, U.S. 6 there in Spanish Fork, the highway that goes up Spanish Fork Canyon, there they were. They were they had carpet bags, and they were thumbing, trying to get a ride. There was quite a bit of traffic going each way. It was a two-lane road. And he says, hey, there they are. He says, I'll tell you what. You get your questions ready, and we'll get across the other side of the road. We'll pick them up, and we'll take them wherever they need to be taken, and you can ask your questions. 
and the traffic was going back and forth, and and they could see him as it, uh, as the traffic opened up where they could still see him over there coming a ride. Well, no car stopped to pick him up, but when the traffic finally cleared and they were able to get across to the other side of the road, they had disappeared, and that's the last time they were seen. Wow, those are some great stories. I've never heard most of those stories. Let's talk a little bit about how um, how you kind of got introduced to this story, Doc. I, I know I've read a little bit of your background. You say that uh, you got interested as a, as a young child. Um, my father was a school teacher, and on the side, like most school teachers, they have a second job. And my father uh, uh, had learned the trade of, of uh, painting and wallpaper hanging from his father and his father from his father. So uh, so now I'm the next generation being taught the trade, and I'd go out with my father on jobs. And, and quite a few times we had jobs down on the south end of the valley, and as we're driving down the old highway, this is before the freeway was put in in the 1960s, you know, you couldn't help but look over there on the hill and, and see the, the, the white mill and see the zigzag road going up the mountain. And I'd always ask my dad, now, Dad, now tell me again, what is that over there? He says, that's oh, the dream mine. And so, did they ever find the gold? Nope, they never did. And that's all I knew about it. But somehow, there was just something fascinating about that mine. And uh, years later, I mean, I was thinking about it, and the Spirit told me if I went to the Orem City Library, that I would find a book. And sure enough, I found a book written by Norman Pierce, uh, and I checked it out, and I read it. And... Uh, Something told me that I ought to make a Xerox copy of that book, so I Xeroxed the copy. And some sometime later, some oh, it might have been a year or two later, I went back again to look for that book, and somebody had stolen it, and uh, it was never replaced. And so I had a Xerox copy of that book. And I read that Xerox copy over and over. And then sometime later, I was over at my grandmother's house in Orem, and there was an old uh, Utah Valley magazine, and it had an article about the uh, relief mine. And I read that thing with interest. I mean, it had pictures in it, and it showed pictures of the vault where they kept the records of the mine. And, and uh, anyway, I I, uh, I asked my grandmother if I could have that copy of that magazine, and and I read that article every so often. Well, I uh, I ended up going uh, on my mission and going to college, and uh, graduating from chiropractic school. And I was sitting in my office a few months after I'd started practice. And the Spirit spoke to me again one day, and it said, call up the, the relief mine office and uh, and go talk to them. And I says, geez, I don't even think they have a, a phone number because the mine, I don't think, is, is actively doing any mining from what I remember reading. But I looked in the phone book, and sure enough, there was a number there, relief mine uh, company. So I, I called, and I talked to uh, Quill Dixon, who was the president of the mine, and he invited my wife and I to come up there. And... Uh, I told my wife, hey, I want to go up and talk to the president of the Dream Mine. Do you want to go with me? And she said, yes. And the spirit told me to take $300. And I tell you what, uh, I was new in practice, and I was poor, but I, I dug up $300. It was the last money I had, and I put it in my pocket, and we went up there and talked to him. And we had a very interesting meeting that lasted a few hours, and, and quite a few times as he was speaking, I mean, the spirit bore witness to me that it was true, and I mean, that the hair on the back of my neck would just stand up and I'd get chills up and down my spine. And, and as, I, as I had those feelings, I looked at my wife and I could tell she was getting those same feelings. And at the very end of everything that uh, uh, 
Brother Dixon had to tell us. He says, well, the bishop recommended that people would have 100 shares of stock. And if they had that 100 shares of stock when the mine came in, it would uh, save them during that period of time where the economy was, was uh, so bad. And he says, now, he says, stock is $3 a share, so 100 shares would be $300. And my wife didn't know that I had that money in my pocket. And I reached in, and I pulled it out, and I set it on the table. And my wife looked at me, and, and I said, well, here's $300. We'll, we'll, we'll get 100 shares of stock. And my wife did not give me the third degree saying, hey, that's probably the last money that we had. Why did you give it to him? My wife, she, she, was, she, she was in complete agreement with me to buy that stock that day. And uh, we've, we've since added and bought additional stock. And I've told the Dream Mind story to my, my five children. They've all ended up buying their own 100 shares of stock. And so that's, uh, that's how I got involved. Now, back uh, about eight years ago, the, the night before 9-11 happened, I was just sitting home, and the Spirit spoke to me very loudly again. It told me to get on the Internet and go to Yahoo groups and start an Internet group concerning the dream mind. And I thought, oh, I don't think anybody would be interested. But I thought, well, I, I've learned that you, you do what the Spirit tells you to do. So I went into Yahoo, and I had a, another Internet group called Last Days where we had quite a few hundred people there that discussed things about uh, the events of the last days. And so I started a new group. Uh, it's called the Dream Mind. And uh, I, I contacted some of my friends and said, hey, I'm starting a new group about the Dream Mind, and maybe you've heard me talk about it. And if you'd like to join it, this is how you join it. And so a few people joined. And I didn't think really anything would become of it. But uh, it kept growing and growing. And uh, to this day, years later, we've got about uh, 1,350 members that have signed up and joined. And over the many years that uh, I've... Uh, own the group and, and moderated it, I've had people contact me personally and tell me their story, how they were led to find a group on the Internet about the dream mind, either due promptings of the spirit or a dream. And uh, we've, we've had a lot of interesting people join the group that were led there to it. If yeah. uh, anybody is interested in looking at the group, a really easy way to find it, I've uh, put a piggyback address on it, and you can go to just www dream hyphen mine dot info and, and we'll, that that's a midline dash hyphen we'll we'll be sure to put place that link on on our show notes on the website as okay. well and uh, as you go in there you have to join the group but once you join it you can go in and we've got a lot of pictures in the picture section where you can see the mail and inside the mail and outside where the mine is and uh, a lot of interesting photos pictures of the bishop some, some real old photographs of the bishop where it was uh, taken way back in the uh, early 1900s that are very interesting to see. Now, there were two, three books actually written about the dream mind. One was written by Norman Pierce. That's the one I initially read. And then there were two written by Ogden Kraut. Ogden Kraut was a very prolific writer, wrote a lot of books on the, the church and the gospel, and he wrote two books on the dream mind. Uh, 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 Brother Kraut had joined the church and moved to Utah, and uh, uh, he was in his early 20s, and uh, he was looking for employment, and he said, he asked somebody, do you know of anybody that's hiring? I really need a job. And they said, well, if you go down to Utah Valley, I hear that Bishop Coyle is hiring some people. Maybe he'd give you a job. So uh, Ogden went down to uh, 
Salem, and he went up on the hill and found Bishop Coyle and introduced himself says, I need a job. And uh, Bishop Coyle uh, hired him on the spot. And he only worked there for a short period of time because he was saving money to go on a mission. And uh, so he got to know the, bis- the bishop personally, and uh, he ended up uh, writing two books about the mine. Um, so I took those three books. I also was led by the Spirit once again when I was at BYU as a student, and I found that there were two BYU theses written about the dream mine. So I uh, was able to get Xerox copies of those, and... Uh, in a few years ago, I was inspired uh, by the Spirit prompts to take all the books, all the theses, any other information that uh, I was able to glean over the years, and I compiled them into one book. So if anybody wants to, once they uh, join the group and get on there, they can go in the file section, and uh, they can find that book online and read everything there is to know about the dream mind. That's a lot of good information that you've provided there. And so, Doc, let, let, let me just ask you this, and also in relation to a lot of the uh, members of your e-group and people that you associate with the Dream Mine, are most of are, are you and most of the people you associate still faithful, active LDS members? Uh, most people that have access to the mine are members of the church. Um, I had a an experience uh, about two years ago, this very month, that led me out of the church. So I'm not currently a member. But I still have uh, active status on the mine. Uh, usually the summer months we have work crews that go up there about uh, twice a month on Saturdays. And this year our work projects concerned going up on the, uh, 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 the side of the mountain where they had put in uh, terraces. And the bishop uh, was told to build these terraces on the side of the hill that uh, when the mine came in that they would take uh, some of the initial money and build uh uh, grain silo on the side of the hill that would contain a million bushels of uh, wheat. And so we uh, this year, we had done other projects other years, uh, cleaning out the mill and doing repair work around the mountain. But this year we uh, went up on the terraces and cleaned off, cut down trees and bushes and cleaned that all off because a lot of the board of directors uh, are looking at the signposts that the bishop gave about when it was time for the mine to come in. And they uh, they all feel like uh, it's very very close to coming in, and so we thought that we would do that those projects to uh, get things a little more prepared for the mine to come in and and uh, those terraces to be built on. Now it's interesting you mentioned Ogden Kraut. Ogden was a polygamist. Are there other connections between those involved in the uh, Dream Mine and the Mormon fundamentalist community? No, no, most uh, all. All of the board of directors are uh, LDS, active LDS members of the church. I know that there are some uh, stockholders who are polygamous, but uh, they have no connection or, or have no connection as far as running uh, or have hearsay uh, as far as running the mine. Now, um, the church is rather authoritative and um, well-funded, and you know we're used to everything running top-down. Why do you suppose that all of this action, you know, and the interaction with the three Nephites and all the revelation is happening outside the church as opposed to within the authority and structure of the church? Well, I have done a lot of uh, reading and research. Uh, that's a lot of that uh, is why I end up leaving the church. But uh, uh, within the church, uh, there's two arms. Uh, there's, the, uh, there's the spiritual side and the political side. 
Joseph Smith uh, ran both arms of that, being being uh, the head of, of uh, both sides. And uh, uh, on the physical side, we uh, we have things like uh, physical projects. And, and Bishop Coyle says that the mind fit in on the physical aspect of things, not the spiritual side where the church was. And so uh, he took his orders directly from the Lord, and he said that someday in the future, uh, after the mind came in, he says, in fact, initially when the mind would come in, the church would be down on the mind and anybody that were stockholders. But he says to the people, he says, just don't worry about it. Just be quiet about your membership, and the time will come where the church will uh, will acknowledge the mind being a project of the Lord, and uh, and uh, everything will be fine again. So at some time in the future, uh, the bishop, in fact, another thing that got the bishop in trouble is he was told that... Uh, has another signpost to look for. He says that uh, uh, things would be out of order. The mind would be out of order, the church would be out of order, and the nation would be out of order. And he says all three of them would be brought up, much like a wild colt or a wild horse uh, that hasn't been trained to be uh, saddled and rode yet. It would be brought up to a snubbing post and, and be put in order. And uh, the, the mind would be put in order first, and uh, and then sometime later, the church would be put in order. Once the church was put in order, they would acknowledge the mind being a project of the Lord and would accept it. So what's the relationship with the church today? Have any of your members suffered, I don't know, discipline or uh, retaliation nope. or for, for participating? I, I assume the church nope. just ignores you. Basically, at one time, uh, the bishop had closed the mind, and I believe it was Heber J. Grant was president of the church, and there was a bill owed by the, the relief mine to uh, the Zion's cooperative. And uh, he wanted to know how come this bill wasn't paid. And he says, well, he says, I'd like to pay it. But he says, the church closed down the mine. And he says, I, I obeyed and shut it down. But he says, if the mine would, could be reopened, he says, then we could get things in operation. We could get some money and we could pay the bill. And so uh, President Grant says, well, Open the mine. He says, let it be open. So they opened it again, and uh, he was able to pay the bill. So are, are you actively digging today? Uh, nope. There's no active digging in the mine. Things are just maintained. I've, I've actually had the good fortune twice to be inside the mine itself, and uh, I can tell you uh, that uh, there's ore there, and it's uh, it's rich ore. And... Uh, the bishop says that when when the, the crash took place, he says you'd go to bed one night and everything would be fine, and you'd wake up in the morning, there'd be no gas, there'd be no lights, there'd be no water. The, the crash had taken place. So he gave an indication of what to look for, that somehow there, there's going to be a power outage, and that's going to take down the economy. And so it's going to be more than just uh, a local power crash. It's going to be nationwide because he says this would crash the economy of the United States. And he was also told that when the mine came in, there would be no federal government to tax away the mine. So uh, at, at a Thursday night meeting, there was an attorney that was the attorney for the mine, and he did ask that. He says, Bishop, what's going to prevent the, the, uh, the, the federal government taxing your mine away? He says, Attorney, there ain't going to be no federal government when this mine comes in. So those are some things to maybe look for of something that would happen to take down the federal government. 
uh, and no taxation, no no IRS uh, uh, available or around to tax the mine away. Doc, you you mentioned that you've you've uh, been in the mine twice. Um, yeah. Can can anyone go up to the mine, or do you do you guys uh, actively give yeah. to- tours or what? Years ago, when the bishop was still around, he he let people come into the mine. But now, because of of uh, restrictions by OSHA and, and mining safety, uh, people are not allowed in. How I was able to get in was my cousin was was secretary at the, the for the board of directors, and uh, he was given a directive to go into the mine to replace some railroad ties under the, uh, uh, the the steel rails that go inside the tunnel. And so uh, I was able to go in there with him and replace some of those ties. And uh, on another occasion, uh, we got permission to go in with my father and my brother and my cousin, again, took us in there and, and showed us uh, some of the sites that uh, uh, can be seen in there. Um, there's a, inside the tunnel that goes straight back, um, there's a little ditch on the, on the right-hand side as you go in. And they dug this little ditch for, oh, geez, hundreds of yards. And uh, it's such hard rock, and it was so hard to build that little ditch in that people were complaining. And uh, and they said, Bishop, if, you know, we're digging this ditch and there's no water, and if we don't get water, then we believe that this is all just a bunch of bunk and we're all going to walk off the hill. And the bishop, he, he gave another one of his little prophecies. He says, you're going to hit, you're going to hit water within the next, uh, X amount of feet. And so they went in there and they, they, they took their pick and made a hole in the side of the tunnel and they put in a, uh, a wood wedge and they put enough string of so many feet as the bishop says it would take before they would hit water. And they kept digging the tunnel deeper and deeper and they'd keep measuring it. And even within a few feet of where they said supposedly they would hit water, the face of the, the rock was still dry as a bone. And then all of a sudden they start getting really close, and all of a sudden they start noticing a little bit of moisture. And uh, then somebody took their axe and put it into the middle of that moist uh, area on the rock, and a stream of water burst, burst forth out of it. And to this day, that, uh, that ditch has water in it, and the bishop told them to build it so deep it's, uh, I'm trying to remember, it seems like it's uh, no more than maybe about a foot deep. But to this day, water runs out of that ditch, and it's, uh, it comes up about a couple of inches uh, uh, from the top, and it stays full, and there's enough water coming out that it fills a pipe that goes over to the mill and fills up uh, a large storage tank there, and then it goes down into uh, other places on the, the Dreamline property where they use it for uh, irrigation and sprinkling. Do you or, or your group or do the board of directors, do they offer tours? Like, can people pay to come and take a look at some of the grounds and the property? Uh, usually about once a year, uh, uh, I somehow become the unofficial tour giver of the mine. And usually in about the month of May, uh, the second Monday uh, of uh, May is the stockholders meeting, which is held at the Veterans Memorial Building in Spanish Fork. At 2 o'clock, that meeting is held. You don't have to be a stockholder in order to come to that uh, meeting, that stockholders meeting. But generally, a week or two after that, um, I, I usually put a notice out on the, the Dream Mine e-group that we'll have a tour. And uh, the last few years, we've had tours, and we go up on the side of the hill, 
sometimes we're given permission to walk through the mill itself and then over to the face of the tunnel. Uh, you, generally, people cannot go inside the mine. One year, somebody did open up the, uh, the, the lock, and they let people walk in about uh, 20 feet so they could officially say that they had been inside the mine. But uh, uh, we've done that and then gone over to Water Canyon, and uh, uh, there's uh, two sets of tunnels. There's, there's the tunnel that uh, Bishop Coyle had said goes down straight down to the nine rooms, but there's, there's another interesting tunnel on the other side of the canyon, on the south side of Water Canyon, and there's some petroglyphs there. And uh, they call it the hieroglyphic tunnel or the petroglyph tunnel, and it shows some animals um, going one direction in a string, and then it shows another string of animals going the other direction. And uh, there's a tunnel there that uh, had been caved in, and years ago, uh, some of the board of directors got together and decided that they would dig this uh, tunnel out. And they dug down straight down about 20 feet, and they actually broke into a tunnel that went in for a little ways, and they found some very interesting things. They found a... Uh, uh, a grinding stone and rock uh, that the Indians used. They found a copper bowl or bucket, and then they found a, uh, uh, the remains of a papoose uh, in a papoose rack. And they, they ended up donating that uh, uh, dead Indian baby in, in the papoose rack to the church, and it had for years been on a display in the church museum there on Temple Square, and then when it was no, no longer kosher to have uh, the remains of uh, uh, Indians in museums, uh, they gave this back to uh, a tribe of Indians who uh, uh, probably reburied it. In the copper bucket, uh, nobody remembers what happened to that copper bucket, but the uh, grinding stone is uh, in the vault at uh, the dream mine. And I've seen it. It's there. Doc, um, I think we're just about out of time, so I just wanted to to let everybody know that if they want to get any additional information, to they can go to ReliefMind.com. That's a nice, healthy website that can... That's just, a website put up by a good friend of mine. Yes, they can go there, and there's a lot of information there. Or they can go up to the, to the Yahoo group, which is found by going to www.dream-mind.info. Yes, I really appreciate you, Doc, for for spending the time, and I I've learned a lot, and I think this is a fascinating experience, and a, and I wish you the best. Thank you so much for having me on the show tonight. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Would like to encourage all of you to continue this discussion at MormonExpression.com on the blog there. Continue to discuss the the relief mine and the dream mine there. And if any of you have any additional feedback, you can mail us at mail at mormonexpression.com or you can call us as well at 801-906-6722. Thanks again for listening.